Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's driving the conversation in California today? Every weekday at this time, we explore a topic that's making news in our state. This is the State of California. And good afternoon. I'm Doug Sovereign, KCBS political reporter, host of the State of California, along with Patty Rising and Chris Ancarlo. Many California school districts are getting hammered now by the Omicron surge in the COVID-19 pandemic, with hardly any kids and some classes and schools struggling to keep enough teachers at work. And there are more districts going back to remote learning and more teachers and students demanding better testing and protections at school sites. Students in both Oakland and San Francisco are petitioning for more masks and COVID testing, threatening to boycott school if the districts don't step up. The districts say they are. Uh, Meanwhile, some teachers' unions are discussing demanding a return to Zoom school as the virus spreads among staff. And the conditions and reactions really vary widely from school to school and district to district. For more on what's going on, we're joined live today on the KCBS Ring Central Newsline by Troy Flint, Chief Information Officer for the California School Boards Association. Thank you so much for being with us. All right, so it seems to be confusion and disarray in some districts, much less so in others. Uh, How would you characterize the COVID situation in California's public schools right now? The extent of the problem in terms of dealing with COVID-19 and its impact on school safety, as well as school staffing, varies in terms of its extent, but it's being felt by districts in every part of the state, urban, suburban, rural, uh, large and small. It's just a question of how extreme the problem is. In general, I would say schools are at a breaking point in terms of their ability to keep classrooms open and to have in-person instruction in a safe and meaningful manner. Uh, Right before I joined you on this call, I was on a Zoom meeting with uh, school board trustees from the Central Valley, and they're reporting the same problems uh, that you're looking at in the Bay Area. I had one school district, one school board member I was talking to who said they had uh, 300 vacancies, and these are small rural districts. Uh, So you see it's impacting statewide. There were billions of dollars that were set aside as COVID relief specifically for schools to be ready for any subsequent wave of COVID. So where is that money and maybe why has that not made a difference so far? Most of that money has already been put to use to the extent available. Right now, the biggest problem that schools are experiencing is can they procure the supplies that they need, and that's been very difficult to do. Uh, The Biden administration just announced today, I believe, that they're sending an additional 10,000 testing kits nationally. That's great to hear, uh, but we have 45, I believe, 45 million students nationally, so that's not even one testing kit for every four students. And obviously, you're having to test students multiple times if you're going to be effective with COVID-19 mitigation. Uh, Some people are calling for daily or at least weekly testing at every school site. Uh, So obviously we're way behind the curve in the supplies and the resources that we need to deal with this situation properly. 
Do you think there needs to be a uniform response to this in in terms of uh, throughout the public schools in California, or is this individual district approach the right way to go? In terms of how long a school district can maintain in-person instruction, I think that decision needs to be made at the local district level in concert with county health officials. Uh, because it is a very big decision to return to remote learning, and we've seen some of the negative consequences that can have. But in terms of COVID-19 preventative measures and mitigation practices, I think there needs to be some standardization, and there needs to be much more support at the state and especially at the federal level uh, to make sure that every school district has the ability uh, to test for students regularly, to do contact tracing. This is something that really should have happened a year ago. I think people got a little complacent and thought that the vaccine was going to change everything. It's made a big positive impact, uh, but it hasn't been enough on its own. And we've kind of neglected these other, well, neglected is too strong of a word, but we haven't paid sufficient attention to some of these other public health measures that can augment uh, what's happening with the vaccine and we're paying the price. And you can't expect local school districts to perform a public health function of this level in addition to everything else they have to do. That's where we need the state and federal government to have a stronger response. Why is there such a discrepancy from district to district? You know, we all know this is a district by district thing, but some districts have, you know, in Oakland, they've had lots of masks and tests and the kids are getting tested on a regular basis and kids were sent home with tests while others like San Francisco have really struggled and are just sending out some tests now. Why is it so different district to district? I think a lot of it has to do with uh, how districts have chosen to allocate their COVID relief dollars. Uh, there's been so many different ways you, you could spend the money and uh, different districts have made different decisions and that's had different outcomes. Different districts have different demographics and different logistical challenges. Uh, but that's where I, I think that the state and the federal government can step in to provide a certain baseline and help mitigate this variation that, that we have from district to district. Just say there is a certain standard that needs to be done in terms of testing, in terms of contact tracing, and we are going to give you the resources needed at the local level to implement that. Throughout this pandemic, you know, of course, we've seen the conversation between teachers unions and administrators. But now we're starting to see students get into the mix a little bit more, saying that they need N95 masks and they need better measures in place. What does that tell you that students are becoming more outspoken about what they need in the classroom? I don't like that students are in this position, but I love that students are taking ownership uh, of their lives, of the situation they're experiencing. They're the reason that we're all in this profession and their voice should speak the loudest. Uh, So that tells us that there's a lot more work to be done, which we already knew, but it makes that point emphatically. And I'm hoping that's reaching the highest ears at the state and federal level and that they provide the resources so that students and staff uh, feel safe and comfortable and can do the, the core business of school, which is learning. One last question for you. The governor has said repeatedly he will, he will not shut down the schools again, but that's really a district decision. How optimistic are you that we're not going to see a return to distance learning on a really widespread basis anytime in the next couple of weeks? I'm fairly confident we won't see this mass return to learning for an extended period like we saw in 2020 and 21. 
I do expect a significant increase in uh, temporary returns to remote learning or some sort of hybrid situation where you have learning hubs combined with remote learning akin to what Hayward uh, Unified announced recently. And that's simply because we're seeing uh, cases where 15% of the faculty is absent on a particular day. Some districts are reporting absence rates higher than 20%, and we haven't even reached the peak of COVID yet, according to most projections. So you'll have districts that likely will be have absence rates around 30%. At that point, you're just warehousing kids. You can't have meaningful safe instruction when you're collapsing classes, having three classes meet in a gymnasium or, or a cafeteria. So if a school district is in that situation and decides that they have to take a temporary hiatus from full-time in-person instruction at every site, we understand and are sympathetic to that with the, with the caveat that this is very different than 2020 and 2021, and you need to be making every effort to get back on campus as soon as possible. I think that was underscored over the holiday. This went a little bit under the radar because it was a few days before Christmas. But the governor, all the state uh, employee unions, unions that work in schools, as well as the education management organizations, like the California School Boards Association, which I represent, uh, came together on a statement reaffirming our commitment to uh, keeping kids on, in school on campus. Uh, we don't always get along that well, and it's exceedingly rare uh, that all three groups, uh, the state administration, the unions, and the management organizations of schools come together. And I think schools have responded and held the line. They could have easily returned to in-person instruction, say, last week, because in most districts, the absence rates were crazy. The staffing shortages were, were incredibly large. But schools are doing everything they can to avoid that return. Some of them won't be able to make it, but I don't think you'll see uh, in-person learning for months and months like we've seen it in the past. All right. Thank you so much, Troy Flint, with the California School Boards Association for your expertise and your candor. Yeah, we did report that statement here, and I know I tweeted it at Sovereign Nation on Twitter. Uh, you can hear the state of California every weekday at 3.30 p.m. It's also available at kcbsradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Doug Sovereign, KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 